I don't have a clever 2018 intro, but it is a new year. It is a new year for Classroom Brew. So thank you guys for listening during 2017. Let's get 2018 started off right. Welcome back to Classroom Brew. This is episode 16. Uh, This week I've got uh, a buddy of mine that I just met. Uh, hey. Someone that used to listen to the episode is Mike. How you doing? I still listen, but yeah. How you doing? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Still listen. That's good. Thank you for the support, though. Uh, before I dive in, though, I wanted to let you know about a campaign I'm taking part in called Hashtag Two Pods a Day. It aims to introduce listeners to two independent podcasts every day. The promotion hopes to give visibility to some of the great indie podcasts that you probably haven't heard of. Hashtag Two Pods a Day. Listen more. Listen indie. Find more shows like mine, Classroom Brew, by following Hashtag Two Pods a Day on Twitter and Facebook. Also wanted to let you know real quick that you can now hear my show on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. There's an app. Uh, it's free in the app store, depending on what you got. Um, they've got over 4 million card dashboards on demand and on the go. Uh, no downloading, syncing, or wasted memory, which is really cool. It's a great service. So now you can hear us on iTunes, the podcast app. Uh, Podchaser is the one that you, you found me on, right? I use Overcast. Overcast, that's the other one too. Um, and now Stitcher, so that's cool. There's a YouTube channel. It's got some previews on it. I haven't really updated that in a while because, you know, YouTube's a different beast. Um, anyways, so check us out on that. Thank you guys again. Uh, feel free to reach out if you want to check us out on Instagram at Classroom Brew, Facebook.com slash Classroom Brew, all that stuff. All right. Sorry about that. Had to get that done, but... You're fine. Welcome. So you found it because we actually have a kind of a mutual connection, uh, Steve, who yeah. he, has, he has a podcast called... Uh, too much scrolling. Yep. And uh, you met him at. I met him at Chicago TARDIS. It was um, back on Thanksgiving weekend, and it's a convention for, um, as as I hate to admit this, um, <laughs> people who are big fans of Doctor Who. And I was a panelist there, and Steve was in the crowd for my panel. And I spoke to him for a few minutes afterwards, and I checked out his uh, checked out his podcast. And then while I was checking it out, I saw on the sidebar there was a. Uh, a podcast for teachers, which is really creepy that the internet knew that's what I was looking for, <laughs> called uh, Classroom Brew, and it turned out to be a pretty good one. There you go. Sweet. Well, thanks for, for listening and joining in. And yeah. I'm glad it's kind of becoming more visible, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Uh, we were kind of talking beforehand, and by the way, what was, what was the name of this, this beer that you gave me? Oh, I brought uh, Cross of Gold by Revolution Brewing. It's delicious, especially because we were also talking. I'm, I may have some sort of gluten type of thing, and this is delicious and still hoppy at the same yeah. time, but nice and crisp so uh i've had like my friend beth who's been on and she's a second career teacher you're also second career because we were talking a little bit about like construction things like that um but in terms of like where you thought your career path was starting versus where it actually came how did you wind up where you're where you're at now well um Many moons ago, in uh, 1999, I graduated from high school, and I had the idea that going to college was for chumps. <laughs> and uh, six months in um, in the real working world changed my opinion on that real fast because I looked at a boss who was about 45 doing the same job I was and realized that was not the dude I wanted to be. And I looked back at what I'd always wanted to do, what I'd always enjoyed, and um, so I went to school starting in 2000 to be a social studies teacher for high school. It seemed like a really great idea. And of course, you know, there's, there's definitely not a glut of those on the market. And, um, so 
I went to school and um, made the mistake of following my girlfriend to a to a college, and quickly broke up with my girlfriend after that because that's what you do when you do that. And so I was having a rough time in college uh, in the early 2000s, which was kind of a rough time for people in general as the early 2000s. And right around um, 2003, I was in a classroom. I was doing my observations. I was about a year out from completing my schooling at Eastern Illinois uh, to be a high school teacher. And I'm teaching my students. And I look up and we're watching. uh, We were doing a current events. um, We did our current events time on one day. So we would watch uh, the news. I want to say it was CNN at the time, and um, that so, was back when so you had to fake roll... news. Oh yeah, fake news. <laughs> yeah, well, that was back when you had to roll a TV in on a cart if you wanted oh, to watch news. Oh, that class. was that was the best day when I was a student. If you saw that cart, mm-hmm. great day, especially if there was a sub there. Oh, oh yeah. man. Well, when it's a student teacher with a TV on a cart, you know you're even better off. Yeah. There you go. And um, so I rolled a TV in, and uh, it just so happened to be the day that Baghdad fell, and uh, um, okay. This was this was 2003, and they're dragging the they're dragging the statues through the streets, and you know there's jubilation, and the war is over, and everything is is nice and peaceful now, and we definitely aren't going to be at war anymore. And um, I realized that I was teaching history, and I was missing out on history, and I didn't really have the 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 ties because you know I'd, I'd broken up with my fiance when we went to college, and uh, broken up with her. I had no ties to what I was doing, and. Being a history teacher could wait, obviously. So I joined the Army and um, did that for a short amount of time. Didn't do anything interesting with it. Um, but it was it was a great learning experience. It made me a better human being. Hmm. And um, when I got out of the Army, it turned out that it had changed me, and I wasn't interested in going back to school. I couldn't uh, – I, I came out of the Army, and I was really annoyed at the world, and I just didn't want to uh, be around people. So going back to school wasn't for me. So I got a job um, eventually working in construction and swinging a hammer and hitting things all day while sitting outside and working <laughs> in the sun and getting paid a lot of money was fun. Yeah. So I did that for years. And a uh, 2008 crash happened. Um, when the 2008 crash happened, I, I, I fell back on my minor when I was in school, which was international economics. And I fell back on that. And economics taught me that if you know, your industry ceases to exist, retrain. So I went back to school and I decided to finish up my teaching degree. And after a few false starts, I eventually did so. And the most amazing thing was that my student teaching time came when I got to set foot for my student teaching in my grandmother's old classroom. Oh, so the actual room, the actual room, (laughs) the actual room that I had set up almost every summer when I was a kid to help her get ready for each year. The classroom that I had known like the back of my hand was um, years after my grandmother retired, the room that I was student teaching in. And Still that was an amazing shape. event. No, nope. yeah, not in good shape. <laughs> it oh, wasn't in good kinda... shape 30 years ago when I was a kid, and it wasn't in good shape five mm-hmm. years ago when I was student teaching. In fact, the same animals in formaldehyde still sitting in the cabinet, and I asked the teacher who had the classroom at the time, I'm like, why do you still have these? You teach earth science. She says, well, because of the formaldehyde, we can't get rid of them. What? We're just hoping it evaporates off the, through the broken seals. Oh, great. Actually, when I worked in the hospital, we had to clean out. Uh, it was a psych unit uh, education setting. We were cleaning out cabinets because there was like years and years of all this stuff, and they got like a bunch of new teachers after a couple had left to different positions mm-hmm. and retired. We found like four formaldehyde, like disgusting, like animals still in there just chilling. Yep. So they probably had the same. I didn't even realize that that was like a thing. Oh, it's a it's a controlled toxin. You have to get rid of it. Like you have to have a special company come out, and it's expensive to get rid of. Hmm. It's kind of. I don't even remember how we 
Most people probably just throw it out when no one's looking. Yeah, right. I, I think we did take it. I mean, we worked in the hospital, so I think we did have someone yeah, you, to properly dispose of it. Lucky, but yeah, no, we um, we just left it there. And uh, I mean, in fact, one of the things that was still in there was a cat skeleton that I'd helped assemble. Oh, okay. That um, oh, so she she taught uh, she taught life science, life science, and then you were teaching social studies in yeah, the same room. Back when my grandmother, t- well, no, I actually um, changed when I went back to school. I realized that teaching social studies wasn't going to work for me. And in fact, teaching high school wasn't going to work for me. Hmm. Um, I, when I'd first gone into teaching, I just went for what I wanted. And I, I decided later that um, I couldn't go for what I wanted. I had to go for what I wanted to get a job in. Because yeah. by the time I went back That's to school, reality. well, I was married. And um, I had a kid on the way. And I couldn't just get what I wanted and hope for the best for a job eventually. Uh, so I needed to get a job quickly. So I instead decided to um, specialize in science and middle school and because science and middle school are things that people – the middle school is the Marine Corps of teaching. They <laughs> they deal with the widest range of kids, the kids who still think it's elementary school to the kids who can't control their hormones to the kids who think they're already adults. Yeah, that's, and that's what Chris says. He says they're they're young enough where they don't think they're too cool, but they're old enough that they're not entirely immature. But then there's also the outliers you're talking about. Yeah, they're they're actually my favorites. I love middle school kids. Um, that's when they're figuring out who they want to be, and it's really a fun time. Yeah. My grandmother, too. in fact, is the one who gave me the best advice I ever had. She said that when you get into a school, there's two very important rules you need to follow. Make friends with the janitors and the office staff because they run the school. That's true. And stay out of the teacher's lounge because that's where all the drama happens and you don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, no, Exactly. And that's kind of what, that's one of the first things we talked about was staying out of the teacher's lounge because I've heard a, a bunch of negative stuff in there that you just don't want to deal with. There was even one lady that I think she was like a ESP or something like that. And she was on the phone talking about, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking for full-time employment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like in the teacher's lounge, like in her break. Yeah. I've actually had, I've had some pretty awkward situations with that as well. I had an ESP in my classroom two years ago and she was given a device so that she could scribe for the for the student in a wheelchair that she worked with, but she used that device just to apply for jobs. Uh. I don't blame her because we were one of the lowest paid districts for ESPs. Mm. In fact, we had many ESPs in my district who made so little that they literally had the job just for health insurance, and they actually had to pay money to work there because uh. they were paid so little. They had to pay from their second job just to cover the health insurance from their Jesus. ESP job. So I, I, I understand where she was coming from, but yeah. maybe not the best way to not. Yeah. Not the best use of your time. You can, you can do that some other time. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but I, I, so I finished up my, my student teaching and, um, I subbed for a while, which was oh, a great geez. experience. Re- really? I liked subbing. It was the, my least favorite part of subbing. And when you, I've heard you guys talk about subs and some of the way they come in. Well, you might, that's also, that's a very, that's, inner city like where they get right. abused but it's it, it, like so when i was a student we were in the suburbs and stuff subs were great completely different environment but sorry go ahead no i mean a lot of the subs that i met were terrible um oh like i got subs. complimented frequently on the fact that like i could actually take a lesson and do something with it versus uh, my least favorite thing of being a sub was when somebody just handed me a you know i, I joked that i was a i was a um overpaid um um, movie presenter and t- uh, test proctor <laughs> because those were the two things I had to do as a sub is either give tests or yeah. show a movie. And I was so grateful when people would give me lessons to do because it got me a chance to see how other people teach and to get a feel for their system and to, to mm-hmm. really hone in on my, 
my um, my classroom management skills. And my classroom management skills have always been better than I think someone at my experience should be. But I also take a page out of the, the drill sergeant's handbook with how I respond to problems. It's probably not the most socio or social emotional like caring <laughs> way works, though but you know i come out hard and i come out fast with any problems that crop up and i'm a caring person i listen to the students and i try to gauge the, the students emotion try to read the room try to read the situation try to know the students but i also make sure that i assert my leadership first and then after that i can work with the student to to come to an understanding on why that didn't work but it stops there from being offshoot behaviors yeah and it's probably, like I said, probably not the most gentle classroom management, but I've had good experience with it. It might be rough the first few times once they, they realize, you know, that that empathy is there, that that's just the way that it's going to work. They're going to appreciate you. So, like, I had a mentor teacher that he came off as, to students, they thought he was, like, callous or cold, whatever. But after, like, the first, like, few weeks of them working with him or coming in to see him one-on-one, -on -one, they realize, oh, he really just cares, but he's got to set it so that, we can function the way that the room needs to be. So yeah. It's just your style. Oh, my whole life I've learned that people don't like me when they first meet me. That's the, that's the thing I get <laughs> most that, often. They say that? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, and when you work with people for years, you know, a lot of times I'll hear from people, wow, I didn't really, I didn't like you when I first met you, but you're really <laughs> a good guy. And after some introspection, I realized that's because I, the first experience people have with me is I expect you to do things this way and to be this good. And then once you've proven yourself, then, you know, I'm nice to you. But until, until you've proven that you meet my expectations in general, I just, I treat people like I expect more of them. And, um, with adults that can be off-putting, but with children, I think that, um, when the students have proved themselves, it gives them a level of respect for themselves that they then give back to me as respect for helping them achieve better. At least that's what yeah. I tell myself. It kind of makes me think, and like that's like the, that's how I would approach it too. But it makes me think of, do you watch like Parks and Rec? When I've seen it a few times. When uh, so Andy Dwyer, who's played by Chris Pratt, mm -hmm. he can't even do like a mile in less than like fifteen minutes or whatever, and so he passes out. And so Rob Lowe, who's really fit, uh, his character, he's like, I'm so proud of you, not for what you did because that was terrible. But because what I think I can get you to do, which is that's, yeah. that's kind of what it reminds me of. You know, if you're willing to run so hard, you're going to pass out in 15 minutes for a yeah. mile. That's great because that means you're going to put in the effort to get better and to get faster. Yeah. If, if you would have walked half of it and then just been like, I'm done at the end of it, then yeah, I would have, I wouldn't have had the respect as well. I can see where, I can see where he comes from on that. Yeah. Do you have students though that like, so do you get a lot of transfers or kids that like, I know they're middle school, so are you, you are in middle school right mm -hmm. now, right? Yeah. So do you have... Like when I was in school, transfers didn't happen. Nowadays, kids talk all the time about, oh, I'm going to leave for this school next week. And then they come back two weeks later and then they leave again. And do you well, have that where you don't get the chance to get to that end point where it's like, oh, great. This is just the teacher student relationship. Yeah. Or... Um, in fact, I had it earlier. Um, I had it early on and I have it now. Um, there was a district I was at in the middle that was fairly stable. Um, but when I first started, I was student teaching and then subbing in a, um, in a town near Toyota Park. Um, in the in the suburbs of Chicago, and everyone's like, "Oh wow, that's that's a rough neighborhood," and I go, "No," I'm like, "It was all run by one gang," and people like look at me in awe. They're like, "Isn't that awful?" I go, "No, it was great because the community was stable, the community was clean, they had pride in the community. Yes, there was criminals who ran the community, but." I mean, it's Chicago. There's always criminals that run the community. Yeah, unfortunately. It's just some have, you know, gang affiliations and some have political affiliations. Yeah. And um, 
and everything was nice and wonderful. But I had a, I, I had a high transient population for students who were homeless. And I had students who um, weren't necessarily homeless, but they were, they were definitely not like dwelling secure. They would be in one apartment building for four months and they'd be in another apartment building for six months and they'd be in another apartment building or somebody's attic or something like that. And they'd be moving around and they, their parents would do their best to keep them in the school district. Right. But I mean, when your kid's packing up their stuff and moving every couple months or unpacking, you know, cause they just got somewhere or they're going to spend two weeks at, you know, uncle Julio's instead of at home because mom's got to go out of town or even, I had kids who, you know, we talk about the Christmas break being so long at two weeks, but, you know, for a lot of my kids, the Christmas break would be like six weeks long because they'd have to go back to Mexico for X amount of days or wherever they came from um, to to maintain their visa legally. So they'd have to go back. They'd have to stay there, and they would stay there during the winter, and they would they would plan it over Christmas break, but I'd lose kids from Thanksgiving until a week after we came back in January. That, yeah, no, I could see that. And we had, I've had a few kids where that's a, a behavior issue, but I even had one student, he talked about like going back to another country. Uh, he had, this is when I was student teaching out in the suburbs, but his father had passed away in Pakistan. So he was like the head of the family then. And mm-hmm. he had to go back and he was worried. Like, he's like, I got to make this no less than three days. Cause I don't know if I'm going to get back in. Yeah. This was around the time of the election and yeah. all that stuff that was going on. And it was sad because high-performing student, but we didn't know, are we going to see him again? Is he going to get to where he wants to be? Like, what is he going to be able to do if he leaves during break and then comes back, hopefully? I mean, I have a student right now whose mom every uh, month or two has to take him out and take him home because it depends on which appeals, which lawyer, which whatever in the separation because dad says she's not allowed to leave the state and mom doesn't want to be in the same state as dad so she'll leave until she's legally required to return and then oh when that gets yeah so i mean it's it's some of these kids have unstable lives and you have to take yeah. that into account and i mean he comes in and my class requires you to build on what you've learned and if you miss a good chunk you're missing stuff and he just comes in i'm like all right man i know you can do it and like i don't treat like he was gone as a as a thing that he's that he's missed out on i'm like okay so you were gone that happens, you know, we're going to get past it. And I accommodate it. And that's one of the things is that, you know, a student will be like, oh, well, that's unfair. I go, no, it's fair, but it's not equal. Well, but that's not fair. I go, no, it's not equal, but it is fair. I'm like, if you're in his situation or if you're in any other situation, I would treat you and I would take your situation to account. That's being fair. Being equal is you all have to do the same thing all the time. And I think that if I can get the kids to realize that fair and equal aren't the same thing, then even if they don't remember anything I teach them about computers, at least they can learn that, you know, there's different levels of there's different levels of how you treat people based on their situation and compassion or empathy is important, especially in middle yeah. school. They suck at empathy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I had to write that down with fair and equal because that's when I student taught in the suburbs never had a problem like a kid missed one day and that was like oh my god like let me get you all the work and you get caught up right away they would come and see you instantly email you if they were gone whereas now i don't see a kid and we call home and things like that but sometimes there's like a week or two or it's periodically they'll just miss a day here day there but i like the the fair and i never even thought to phrase it that way because what i'm running into now is exempting certain assignments making sure i can still get the skills but students are i guess they're so used to it in our climate that they don't question it. But if I ever had an administrator or, you know, another parent or a student that was like frustrated by it, I can just say, 
fair versus equal. That's that's a yeah. good distinction. And in fact, I'll even pass on a picture that you can post to any of your social media for the podcast that demonstrates it very well. Um, but with that, I mean, you mentioned the suburbs. Well, the the town I was in was a is a collar suburb, so it's one of those suburbs around the city that may as well be the city. Okay. And yeah. um, with that, I moved out a year later. I got an ESP position which I got treated like a laptop cart. It was awful. And, um, and I, it forever gave me a deep like respect for ESPs and the job they do. Yeah. Um, but it was out in the, it was out in a, in a farther Western suburb. And we had a problem where we had two very different gangs in the community and people don't think about that with suburbs, but this was also a, it was also a, a uh, economically disadvantaged area. And there, was a very different thing. Suburbs were far more unstable than being in near city with two gangs. And then I was, I, I did, I felt like I was doing good when I was there, but I was also happy to leave because, um, because of the rivalry, the students had actually glorified, um, they had actually glorified the, the violence of it and the, the, the community of it and the hatred of it. Yeah, and there's not much that. you can do to change that when you're, you know, like I said, a human laptop cart who goes classroom to classroom. Yeah, it's disconcerting. Like my kids think if you get like there, I have a student that he he lies about being shot. He like stubbed his toe really bad, and he had to get like a, like he broke it and stuff like that. And then he said, "Oh, he got shot because it's a badge of honor at our school." And I had a kid who got shot, and he wore it as a badge of honor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, even like the, there's only one student I have that um, was shot, and he's the only person that's like, "No, it's not cool, man." It was I was scared. Like he's the only one that actually admits it. Whereas other students that were shot and it's it's not their fault too it's their culture too where mm -hmm. that's what their role models that, yeah. that lifestyle because who runs the neighborhood it's not you know yeah. the guy that works at a bank nine to five or the guy that works city council or something like that it's unfortunately the guys that are part of some sort of like a hate group or a gang or something like yeah. that and so it, be, it does become a badge of honor and glorifies that violence which is I, sad i found out that um while i was teaching eighth grade in the suburb the um, I had a kid who looked like he could have been straight off the set for Outcasts. Like we were reading the Outcasts, he looked like he had the big pompadour slicked back, <laughs> real small, quiet does kid. He does the comb every five minutes. Oh yeah. And... Well, he didn't comb it. I mean, this thing was a helmet. Like it was, <laughs> it was protective. That much hairspray. And um, yeah, and I mean, he he was quiet. He was unassuming. He would disappear into the furniture if you didn't notice him. Mm. And I found out about halfway through the school year that he was. He was now the de facto gang leader for one of the gangs because his brother had been put in jail, oh. and so he ran the high school gang. And he was only in eighth grade because he was his, he was the younger brother. Jesus. And I mean, and this kid was quiet, and he was he, honestly, in retrospect, he made a great gang leader. You never saw him, you never knew he was a troublemaker. You never knew anything about him. No, yeah. He was just quiet, and he was there, and he was commanding. That's disconcerting. Yeah, who was? <laughs> that, makes, that makes me kind of like you try to get to know your students, but like there's some things I feel like I'd want a separation of what I know and don't know. But yeah, and wow. that's the thing is as a as a teacher, like I have I, I have children, I have two of my own kids, and um, I refer to my kids all the time. And teachers get it when I say I refer to my kids, I'm referring to my students. Yeah. But when I refer to my children, I say my son or my daughter. And that's an easy distinction. But when I talk to people who aren't teachers and I'm like, oh, yeah, so, you know, I had this one kid who was doing this. And I'm like, wait, your kid or <laughs> students? And it's it's because you you have a large one-year extended family with your hundred and something kids that you have. Yeah. And it's an amazing experience to be a part of their lives and to to live with them and their successes and their failures. But then 
they're gone from your life. And unless you're a teacher like I am now, where I teach a uh, an elective class, so I'll have kids for three years, which I'm um, is great, but you know you really you really grow with them over the years, and it's hard when they when they fail or when they um, when they leave or things like that. Yeah, yeah, and I teach uh, sophomores and juniors, but I get like this is my first year, so like I have some juniors and seniors that they're taking like the sophomore or the junior class or both to be honest with you uh and it is kind of and even there's kids that i don't know in the building but since it's such a small building and well big building small population it is sad when you know someone that you didn't teach them but then you see that they dropped out a week later and you're like oh shit like it really weighs on you as if they are your own kids which is kind of yeah kind of sad but well to get to the second career part though i realized the second career part makes a difference when I got finally my own classroom. And um, when you come out of school, and the one thing that I, if anyone's an aspiring teacher and listening to this, I'm sorry to be the one to have to tell you this, but they don't teach you anything you need in school. Yeah, No, no, we've, I think we've, if they've heard this podcast more than a few episodes, a few I think, because it, it's true. It, everyone's going to reiterate that because you don't, until you're in it, that's yeah. when you start to learn it. But so wait, wait, before you, before you got to like your first career job, how long were you a sub? I was a sub for about a year, and then I was okay. a I was a um, an e, uh, ESP for a year. Okay, and um, I was a sub for about a year, year and a quarter, year and a half, whatever. And in fact, at one point, I had to long term sub for a teacher that had just been done with it, and she choked one of her students and got fired. Oh, choked? Yeah, like actually physically. Like yeah, yeah. Jesus, what? It, not that it's justified, but what do you do? <laughs> like he was himself. Uh, he was infuriating personality. He, no, he was he was just personally infuriating, and she had, had just had enough. There's only so many times where a kid can come in and do whatever they want and get away with it before you just, I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a vine, actually. It's a substitute teacher, clearly. Well, I hope. It's a substitute teacher, uh, and they're like, wait, what'd you say? And he's like, if you talk him back right now, your mom's a hoe. Like, that's what the sub is. It's a very popular vine, too, back when vine was a thing. But sometimes when they've had it, they've had it, and it's... Yeah. Unfortunate. But anyway, sorry. So Oh no, that's fine. Um so yeah, so I had finished being an ESP and I was I was actually I was done with being an ESP. I was like, I don't care. I made more money as a sub. I don't care if I make a better reputation as an ESP for myself. I am not doing that anymore. I'd rather be in charge of the classrooms than to like I said, to be a human laptop cart. And um so I was really worried because I was, you know, I was putting in my sub, my pre-applications to be sub, to be approved in all these different districts around me. And then um, about two weeks before the school year starts, I got a job interview and I, I, I drive out to the school and I'm like, whoa, this looks like a college campus. This is too nice for me. I'm not going to get a job here. <laughs> and I have a great interview. The guy seems awesome. And I'm like, all right, everything they offered me, like, this sounds like a really great program. They want me to take over this STEM program. I'm really excited about that. Science, technology, engineering, mathematics. That's, that's wonderful. I won't be a core teacher, so I won't have a lot of the stress that goes with it. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. I'm like, I am totally not getting this job. And I drove away. I drove home <laughs> and I told my positive wife. Right there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd been on a few, quite a few interviews over the summer and like, I just got to the point now where I'm like, I'm not getting a job. And, um, so, like, I drive home, and and my wife's like, how was it? I'm like, it was wonderful. I, I love everything about it. It's a dream job. And then so they call me, and they're like, okay, so we want you. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm in. And so, you know, they're like, well, we don't pay much. I'm like, I don't care. You pay better than I was getting paid. You know, at this point, I'm working three jobs. So, Whoa. yeah, what, I was what working. What were the three at, out of curiosity? I was working at, um, 
So I would work during the day as an uh, ESP when the school year was on. Mm-hmm. Then I would work at a sporting goods store in the evenings during the week. And then I would work in the during the day on Saturday. And then on Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday all day, I would work at a restaurant as a uh, server and bartender. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's Seven how we days got talking week. about. I want to, yeah. during the summer, probably bartend. I've got places right across the street and down the yeah. block. And so, I mean, I had, at this point, I had a kid and a wife and a mortgage and all that stuff. And, you know, it was, my wife's story is even worse than mine. Um, and so we needed to make, we needed to make, we needed to make payments. So I worked three jobs, seven days a week. And um, so they hired me and I was like, all right, um, you know, I'm get started. So, That's but cool. yeah. And then, so I find out that, you know, they had to get, they weren't sure about my certifications because I had, um, my grandmother again had told me, she's like, I'm going to pay for you to go to school some more if you get a computer certification. I'm like, but I want to get this other, I want to get math. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, I'm going to pay for it. But you're going to get a computer certification. That's I'm smart. Like, but she, she, again, she was a teacher though. So she knew oh, what was needed. She, was my grandmother wise. was my first software pirate. Um, she, <laughs> my grandmother was, pirate. yeah, software pirate. She was a, uh, she was a science teacher. And I kind of grew up with my grandma. Um, I lived with my parents a lot, but my parents had rough times too. So I lived with my grandparents a lot growing up. And my grandma brought home an Apple IIe computer because the school had gotten them and she thought they were pretty neat. And um, so she bought one for herself, which at the time was like almost like buying another car. Mm. And the thing is, is that software wasn't exactly... Like there was there was no easy software distribution system back then. So what she did is um, the school would buy software through Scholastic in in like class sets for the computer lab they had, and she would just have the librarian make copies of the software for her, and she'd bring it home to me. Nice. So Grandma was my first software pirate, <laughs> and uh, so all my stuff was just handwritten labels on on floppy disks. I like it. So so this, she, what year is this? I remember oh, I had God. floppy disks when I was in like middle school, but it was being phased out for flash drives. But no, this was this was um, I want to say the mid eighties. Okay, so mid to late eighties, uh, I had this right. computer for grandma, and um, you know, I'd always I'd always been a computer person, and you know, with my family being uh, you know less than less than financially advantaged, we ended up having a lot of times where it was like, all right. We can get a computer. I was like, I was a kid who had a Nintendo when everybody had a Super Nintendo. I was a kid, you know, I was always like, so I always had whatever the last generation was. I had an Atari, literally. Like, my dad had an Atari from when he was, uh, you know, an adult before he was married. Mm-hmm. And that was my video game system until I got the Nintendo because it went on sale because the Super Nintendo came out. So I was always the one behind. So I'd always had to learn how to make what I had better. And so I'd always mess with computers and programming and things like that before I even knew that was a thing. So my grandma's like, you know computers. She's like, you need to do this for education. She's like, that's the next step. And that's that was the certification that got me the job in STEM was computer applications. So Yeah, yeah you got to stand out somehow. So whatever yeah. works. So what do you what do you teach right now then? I still teach STEM. Okay. I teach, um, so I'd gotten hired at my first district. And by the time all the paperwork was through, um, I'd already missed the first school PD day. I'd missed the, and so I was given a day and a half plus a weekend until school started. And I was given four ideas written on a whiteboard in a nearly empty room. (laughs) Um, My room had some tables and some 10 year old computers that were half broken. And I didn't even have enough chairs at first. Um, Right. Yeah. And I looked in all the cabinets that I had in my room 
and it was all this broken equipment from a um, like almost like an industrial tech program, but it was like a a um, like a scripted industrial tech program through this company called Pitsco. Okay, and the stuff was broken. Like it was just, and there was a few sewing machines for no reason whatsoever in there. And um, so I had I had essentially you know two days to come up with a STEM program, and my guidance was four ideas. And in fact, um, I say STEM now, but it wasn't until midway through my first year that I learned the term STEM. Um, I was just told I was supposed to make a technology lab. That was what my class was named. It was Tech Lab. And I was like, okay, technology lab, I can do that. And I looked at my computers. I'm like, I can't do anything with these. (laughs) And then I found out that two of the three grades that I taught were getting Chromebooks. I'm like, okay, I can work with that. And I mean, I was was making it up as I went along, day by day, making it up. And I ended up um, walking backwards into a bunch of really great advanced ideas because about halfway through the first year, I was like, this isn't working. And so I was watching what the students were interested in. And I'm like, oh, man, like they'll watch a video that's teaching them how to do something way closer than they'll watch me teaching them how to do something. So I started making videos teaching them how to do what I was teaching them. Oh, there you go. And then they started watching them. And they, and they could go back. And I was like, oh, that's really neat. They can go back and relearn the instruction so I don't have to cover it over and over again. So and then would, was, you, would you record it beforehand or you did it as you were teaching it and you just uploaded it later? No, I would record it like as an instructional video and um, like a YouTuber. Okay. And I would make essentially YouTube, YouTube how-to videos on all the stuff I was teaching and then they would go through it. And I was like, this is really neat. And I'm like, wait, some of these kids are done early. So I'd have to start working ahead or doing it like differentiation, which is really neat. And I'm like, well, what if I want to teach advanced skills for these kids? And I came up with this concept where I was going to do – um, I was going to take the college program idea because we had something at the high school called Blended they thought was amazing, yeah, we which was like a flipped classroom. Yeah, yeah, so they can be anywhere as long as they're on their Chromebook doing stuff. Right. It, but it's not really like – In middle movies. school, I can't let them out of the room. So oh, okay. what I did is I, I didn't know what flipped classroom was yet. So I took the Blended idea and I essentially made it a flipped classroom. But instead, I didn't trust them to watch the videos at home. So what they had to do is they would pick what unit they wanted to work on, and they would watch the video for it, and then they would do the work for it, and then I would grade it. So I had, by the end of the time I did this, I had 40 different units the kids could be doing at a time. Oh, Jesus. And I had to keep it all straight because yeah. they were doing it across multiple grades. And what was great about it is a kid could come in in seventh grade not having me in sixth and could start at square one or in eighth grade and started at square one. And I didn't have to reteach any of the stuff. I, they didn't have to have any pre-knowledge. And it's an idea that I found out later is called personalized learning. Um, a, a teacher who's getting his master's came back to me and he's like, you do realize that what you're doing is called personalized learning. I'm like, nope. He's <laughs> like, you're also doing like the advanced form of it. I'm like, no idea what you're talking about. And so I went into learning about it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's really neat. And so I got some ideas out of that and I, and I advanced it. And so I essentially built a STEM program and used advanced learning techniques. And the school was totally supportive. They were wonderful about this up until they decided to get rid of my STEM program for a science or for a, another Spanish class. And the, the, the district I was in was kind of red, like okay. kind of really red. Sure. And they, they didn't want their kids learning, learning that Spanish. They should speak English in America. What, uh, not to get too, what state? Illinois. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it was, it's, really? it's Illinois. It's, Actually, no, that sounds about right. I was going to say, um, <laughs> I currently live in the far northwest suburbs. The, the town that I was teaching in didn't consider itself a suburb. That's how far out it was. What did they? They're just in Illinois. Oh. They did not consider themselves to be a suburb of Chicago. They were just 
a town. Mm, yeah, and there's lot, even kids in Naperville. They're like, oh, yeah, we're from Chicago. There's yeah. <laughs> nope, not these kids. The opposite. So, so you started from basically an empty room, which is funny because actually Chris last week, he basically mm-hmm. said he got an interview question. You walk in, there's no room, there's no books, there's no desk, nothing. What do you do? And he was like, I'd find an empty room. But you started from basically nothing, outdated, broken technology mm-hmm. up until where you ended. I mean, they now you're not at that school, but yeah. that's, that's pretty. And I had kids, by the end of my time there, I had taught kids to build computers, to write computer programs, um, to to design and solder electronics, um, to design 3D imaging for, for 3D, uh, to create 3D designs to output as, as functional 3D plans on a 3D printer, um, all of which had come from nothing. In fact, my I was so dumb when I first started that job <laughs> that um, I didn't know how to access the LMS, the, the, the teaching, the, the school teaching website the learning management system as it's called didn't know how to access that didn't know how to use it so i was coding my own web pages and creating them for the kids until somebody told me like why don't you just use the lms i was like what's that and the kids are like it's haiku dude it's what we use like everybody else uses yeah and now that's it's power school power school learning because everything's owned by pearson yeah no exactly it is and great though. It's it's decent. I have issues with it. I prefer Canvas if given a choice. Oh, okay, I've I've seen it. I haven't used it, but and um, so I didn't know what an LMS was. But by the time I was in my second year, I was the person who used the LMS more than anybody else in the district. I had more active time on it, and my students had more active time on it than anyone else in the district. Even with that lack of it, like they all yeah. had a head start on you. I immediately jumped in and, and accelerated it through it. I also didn't know I had a budget for the first year um, until somebody told me, you, ha- you haven't used much, how much of your budget. How much did they give you, out of curiosity? 4500 Whoa. Well, I guess they did want you to start a STEM program from the ground It was up, actually so. left over. The thing is that was left over for buying wood from the <laughs> industrial tech program. So I had a huge budget because wood's expensive. Yeah. And um, so I phased out everything and I, I bought up all this equipment, I bought all, all these electronic toys and spheros and I repurposed. I actually challenged the gifted program to take away their uh, iPads because we'd phased out a gifted program, but the teacher who was the gifted teacher still kept the iPad cart. And I'm like, well, we don't have a gifted program. Give me his iPads. Nice. Did it work? Yeah. There you go. And there was eight of them for a 30-person class that was gifted. I'm like, he, do, he can't use eight effectively. Give them to me. And I challenged I, – I, I, the district got rid of their old Dell computers, and I said, don't throw them out. Give them to me. And they said, why? I'm like, well, I can have the kids learn to build a computer without having to, having to um, break expensive equipment. I'm like, if they break an old Dell, they break an old Dell. And the concept of putting the computer parts together hasn't changed in 10 years so other than SATA ports versus serial ports that was the only difference and most people out there don't even know what that is to begin with so I had the kids working on I would even though I had a huge budget I would spend as little as possible I had was originally buying these electronics projects the kids would build for $15 each and I looked at it and I said I could design this cheaper and better and I ended up designing it for I wanted to say less than $5 as total cost and I think I finally got the cost down in the end to about $1.75 a kit. Oh, nice. Yeah. So That's pretty cool. So, and you building it up to what it became, that smart way to get it there, even with the big budget, you still made every single penny count. Mm-hmm. I remember for, for my first day, so you started with broken computers, stuff like that. I even, I had my classroom door was broken and it wasn't replaced until like week four of school, something like that. 
you kind of mentioned like, I don't know how I survived my first week. And so they've heard about it on my podcast about my first, yeah. you know, a few days and setting up and that nightmare with the minimal time that I had to get it ready again, because of an HR taking their yeah. time to get the process done. What was it that, and if, if you want to branch off into like some sort of a funny story, anything oh, like yeah. that, what was the first, why was it so like hellish that you're like, I don't know how I survived that one. Um, I, well, I have my kids for three years and I, and my third year that I had my kids, I said, I'm like, who have you had me first quarter of eight, uh, sixth grade? And a few of them raised their hand. I go, how'd it go? And they just started <laughs> laughing. I'm like, was I a dumpster fire? They're like, yeah, you had no idea what you were doing. <laughs> that's, oh, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah. And they were laughing. They're like, you didn't know what you were doing, did you? I go, nope. I'm like, how long did it take you to figure that out? They're like, the second time I had you. <laughs> Um, they just thought I was just a, just a wreck. And I mean, I, the, the, the strategy to surviving was I sat my wife down and I said, listen, hon, I love you very much. I'm going to try to be home when I can, but I'm like, I'm either going to be at school or I'm going to be here and I'm going to be just working. And that's just going to be what's going to happen for the next, I'm going to say two months, which is the first quarter of school. I'm like, I need to get I need to figure out one quarter because I was working as a uh, as an elective teacher, so every quarter I'd get new kids, okay. and so it was nice because it was a short iterative process. I could tune it up, and I wouldn't have to figure out a unit that I wouldn't come back to for a year. So that was a really it was a really nice deal because you know in a year I would do four years, so I, I could figure out and tune up and get things just right the way I wanted them. Yeah, and um, so that gave me that was an advantage that I think most people don't have. Um, but yeah, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm, I was, I was at school until seven or eight most nights for the first quarter, or I would come home and I would work until midnight for the first quarter just to try and get it, you know, just to get myself to a point where I would be a day or two ahead of the kids. Cause I was doing three different classes cause I didn't, I didn't come up with my idea of doing them all in one until later. And, um, and which had built in differentiation. Um, I didn't have that until later. And so I was doing three different three different uh, lesson plannings, three different grading, three different everything with no materials. Like I said, I didn't know I had a budget. So I was, I was making things up and building websites and building online tools and all this other stuff from scratch. And there wasn't, so even though they had some sort of hybrid of the program beforehand, like a primitive version, you had like nothing. So like I had like a a teacher that had my position before, I guess she was let go because there were a lot of fail. And I looked at some of the stuff and it was kind of a a mess, but you didn't even have that to kind of base it off of. The, the program I had before, they had decided to cut out like two or three years beforehand. And at first, I hated the teacher before me. <laughs> and he was my mentor. So it was a real tough relationship that first year. I hated him with a passion. All the kids came in and they had nothing nice to say about him. They called him you know, lazy. He didn't do anything. But I'd come to learn over time that wasn't him. That was the school had had cut out his budget for the Pitsco program but didn't replace it with anything. And everything he tried to bring in they they said no to and even though he had the budget they wouldn't let him spend money and um you know he was stuck with so much red tape that when another position in the school opened up he took it and he switched because then he could at least go to somewhere new and he just said you know what this program's dead and they're just working against me mm-hmm. maybe somebody else will get progress or at least it'll be somebody else's problem but i don't have to deal with it i've done it for years and i can't take it anymore yeah no i get it there's a lot of teachers that are pretty worn down after and it's not the kid sometimes it is the kids but it's definitely the administrative bullshit that they have to deal with and And when i came in i just i started throwing things out and somebody said to me they're like did you ask permission to throw that out i go no (laughs) they're like well that's on your inventory i go not on any inventory i signed 
because I didn't sign an inventory for anything other than my laptop that I got as a teacher. Yeah. And well, they gave you one though. That's nice. Yeah. It's probably outdated. It was useless. (laughs) That sounds about right. And, um, but I'm like, no, that's the only thing I'm, I'm on the hook for. And that and my projector. And, um, so I started getting rid of stuff left and right and nobody said anything to me. I'm like, okay, so cool. And then I started doing other things and I started, I, I didn't, the the first principal I had, the I only had the, the principal who hired me, I only had for a year and then he moved to another school as principal. Um, the first principal I had was like, dude, we literally have no guidance for you. We have no standards that you need to follow. I don't even expect lesson plans. Whoa. Like he wants to he's like, just give me one lesson plan as an example, I can put it in your file. <laughs> there you go. And I gave him a lesson plan. He's like, Cool, great. He, I think it was the one I used for my observation. And um Smart. he put it in my file and he's like I, I he's like I don't know what you're doing, but I'm getting good reports from people, so just keep doing that. Nice. And, yeah, I mean, I I came to him. I I was up front. I'm like, listen, I'm going to do something that's unorthodox and unusual, and it's not going to seem normal. And I explained it to him. He's like, I don't understand half of what you said, but go for it. (laughs) So he was really supportive. And by the time the new principal got there, I'd already established a system, and I could show him. I'm like, listen, here's the data. Like, I didn't go in there and tell him, like, listen, this is why I'm doing it. I'm like, here's the data that supports why this is successful. And he was like, I'm going to keep an eye on this, but you keep doing it. And he, I ended up finding out later that nice he though. went to somebody else in the building, and he's like, is this guy for real or is he t- totally full of shit? <laughs> and the guy, the guy was the, one who, the same one who told me, he's like, you're doing personalized education. You didn't even know it. And he was like, not only is he for real, but he's, he told him, he's like, he's probably one of the most innovative teachers you have in the building. Yeah. And in fact, that principal the next year um, went on a fact-finding mission to Denver, which also coincided with the bluegrass concert, but whatever. Um, that's, and that's uh, coincidental, right? Yeah, yeah totally we'll coincidental. <laughs> or bluegrass fest or something like that. And um, to learn about personalized education, he came back and he told me all about it. I'm like, yeah, dude, this is what I've been telling you about for two years now. <laughs> it's, it's like, you. I know you had the expert in the, in your building. I could have, you know, I'm like, I'm learning about this still, but I, yeah. I could help you, you know? So he, um, he was pretty down with that. And um, he was, it was, it was really nice to see that. That that he embraced what I what I had made, and um, you know I kept my budget, and I made sure I found new and innovative ways. But I also realized that three years of having to constantly innovate and improve, and to add, and to always be, be tiring, always be changing, was very exhausting. To keep track of forty different units at once, I mean, I as an as a person with ADD, um, and I, I don't use the term lightly. I, I genuinely have been diagnosed with it. Mm. I had an easier time than most people, and I modeled my classroom after what I would have seen as a kid because as a kid, I was a complete failure in school. Um, I had figured out when I was, I want to say, seven or eight that they're going to pass me no matter what. And I took that all the way to high school when I found out, (laughs) nope, they're not going to pass you. You don't pass. You don't get the credit. You don't graduate. And then, I mean, I took a lot of summer school in three different high schools for me to figure out that I need to, I need to do get it together. And, um, and I ended up graduating. I left the special ed program my senior year and graduated with A's in my final quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I graduated and 1100 people in my graduating class. I graduated eighth from the bottom. But Hey, that's like that saying, um, what do you call the doctor that graduated last in his class? Doctor. Doctor. Yeah. So we're going to do, and it's funny too, cause you mentioned the interview when I got, uh, hired slash interviewed. I remember the principal that was there, he was interim basis. And he said, 
I really don't want to be here. If they had someone, I would be gone. I was like, oh, great. Like, thank you for welcoming. But I mean, he hired me, so like nothing. I had a weird interview recently where the lady didn't know what job I was interviewing for. She didn't know which teacher was leaving. And she wasn't even (laughs) sure like what subject I'd be teaching. That that sounds about right. Anytime you have like that. I did not respond to their callback for a second. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably wise. So uh, for this week, we're actually going to do a nice little twofer. So um, I figured because... You and I, we've been talking a little bit for this, so I wanted to kind of split it up. So we're going to end. This is episode uh, 16, but Mike's going to be back uh, next week. It's For me, it's going to be two minutes. For you guys, it'll be next week to complete this, and we're going to hopefully hear about that first day that became kind of hellish, but I'm pretty good because you said, I'm going to save it, and I was all right, cool, because those are always where the good stories come in. So make sure you guys uh, tune in. We're going to have Mike on again, quote-unquote, next week. Hopefully by then we'll also have the new intro and outro song for classroom brew insomniac studios on the south side is working on that so we'll see how that turns out pretty excited to hear it check us out on instagram facebook youtube uh we're on stitcher itunes podcast at pod chaser uh overcast all those good things check us out there rate and review all that good stuff check out that hashtag two pods a day uh promotion that's from americana podcast Uh, And again, thank you guys for listening. Mike, thank you for being on this week. But Happy to be here and happy to be here again. There you go. We'll see you uh, for you guys next week. But for me and Mike, we'll get a refill and then see each other again in two seconds. Class dismissed.